0: This is a test. For the next 60 seconds, this station will conduct a test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. The following program is intended for
1: mature audiences. You can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious! That ball was on the line! shot flew up! Welcome to This Week in Tennis. Welcome to This Week in Tennis. That was Kansas. Let's play the game tonight. It is June the 21st, 2013, the first day of summer, and I'd like to welcome you to This Week in Tennis. By way of introduction, my name is Phil Nasons, and I am the resident tennis professional at the beautiful Corfu Holiday Palace, located in Corfu, Greece. I've been here 11 years, full-time year-round, full-stop, never take a holiday, nothing. Just work, work, work teaching tennis and having a great time and if you want to take part in a little mini tennis vacation you can hook me up over at or i can hook you up you can contact me at soulnations.com leave a voicemail whatever anyway you can catch us on this show or you can catch this show i should say on max sports channels each and every day at 4 p.m eastern Wimbledon is coming up. We're going to take a look at some odds for you folks out there who may want to take some bets and do some sports betting. Got a great deal for you over at pattypower.com. But first up, we want to introduce my co-host. Well, please welcome from craigdoylephotography.com, Mr. Craig Doyle. How are you today,
0: dude? I'm excellent Phil, and I'm really looking forward to this week because this is my home grand slam and uh, you know, I'm looking to get stuck in about this
1: one. I think the first introduction I did was better than this one, yeah, I agree it was, yeah, it was it was flawless, of course, the recorder wasn't working, so I guess it doesn't matter, does it? but uh, Wimbledon, it is a beautiful little tournament, grass court season. do you think it's too short? A lot of people do. Yeah, I do think
0: it's too short, and clearly the powers that be think it's too short as well, because not next year, but from the 2015 season, they're going to add a fifth week to this grass court season, which I think will benefit a lot of the players, because right now, these guys who get into the second week in Roland Garros have to rush straight into tennis on the grass the next week. And... They're not going to have to do that in the 2015 season. They're going to, there's going to be another week of grass court tournaments. Guys are able to take a break, come out for a hit on the grass, properly prepare for our Wimbledon. And, you know, I think it's been a shame these last few years, just having these four weeks, because, and I think a lot of our older listeners will remember this, but the US Open used to be played on grass. The Australian Open used to be played on grass. I mean, tennis was a grass court game. Now there's four weeks left with a relatively small clay court season and a massive hard court season. I I think it would be good to just reintroduce that little bit more grass court tennis back into the game.
1: Yeah, I like grass courts. I like hard courts better because I grew up on them, but uh, they have some uh, grass courts in New York on Long Island, so it's not all bad. But yeah, for, for folks who grew up in England... You had grass courts in the UK. There are a lot of grass courts available still. Lawn tennis mattered. You know, most of the associations around the world are called lawn tennis usually for a reason. And the grass is nice. You know, Wimbledon. I don't know if Wimbledon is the nicest grass courts. I still think it's Queen's Club myself, and I'm I'm sure I'll piss somebody off by saying that, but it doesn't matter. But we've got some interesting things going on here, Craig, with the. Uh, with this Wimbledon betting. Now, listen to this. This is you. Craig introduced this to me. Craig knows more about these things than I do because I know nothing about sports betting, really. Um, <laughs> shit, I gotta quit lying. Anyway, if Andy Murray wins Wimbledon, Patty Power will refund all losing singles bets on the tournament outright. And there are conditions, and they are as follows. It applies to single bets placed on the Wimbledon men's outright market before the start of round three. So you got to get your bet in before the start of round three. It applies to win part of each-way bets only. The maximum refund is 100 euros or pounds per customer, and Paddy Power tennis rules apply, and you can find that out over there. It's PaddyPower.com. This Week in Tennis is not affiliated in any way, shape, or form with pattypower.com, although we'll welcome them if they like to contact us, because we would be more than happy to work with the gamblers, wouldn't we, Craig?
0: Yeah, we've done a little bit of gambling in our time on this show.
1: Uh, <laughs> in our lives. We're not going to deny that. <laughs> We're, We're not going to stop lying. That. Yeah, sure. I spent all those years in Vegas, yeah, and I never gambled. i tell you what, I- I'm pretty thrilled about this, because I, I may do this one now honestly I probably I usually bet with my buddy we usually uh throw a few bob in the uh in the pot and I start picking winners and he gets happy when I start doing that but uh Novak Djokovic is 13 to 8 odds what do you think about Novak Djokovic and those odds that's a good bet because if Murray wins you get your bob back right yeah, Novak Djokovic
0: is down Darren's favourite, which you would expect, world number one. But you've got to consider how things are this year. I mean, Novak Djokovic, he's won the Australian Open. He's played some good tennis. But things are pretty tight at the top this year. And we've got to consider the scenario with Novak Djokovic, which is quite similar to last season. Where last season, Novak set out to do two things. He set out to win the Olympic tennis tournament, which he did not win. He did not even get a medal, which was very disappointing from his perspective. But he also set out to finish that uh, Grand Slam collection that he's got going by winning the French Open. And he was denied in the final. Now, if you look at Novak's grass court season last year, it's difficult to suggest that that loss in the French Open didn't really affect him Maybe he became a little bit demotivated after not picking up that French Open title and didn't have the best Wimbledon because he really wasn't at the races against Roger Federer in the semifinals. So you got to wonder, this season, he got even closer to beating Rafael Nadal. I know it was the semifinal, but it went five sets. Djokovic was ahead in that fifth set. He had the break. Nadal came back, they went beyond six games each, then Nadal ended up winning it. You just gotta wonder where Novak's at mentally. He's put a big effort into this clay court season. He's come away without the title he really wanted to win. Will he be up for Wimbledon? Well you could easily say that Wimbledon's perhaps the most prestigious tournament on the tour. He really should be up for it, but you know, I, I think he might just not be quite there mentally. But at the end of the day, thirteen to eight, if you're getting your money back on the second favorite? Thirteen to eight's a great bet. It's a bet I'm going with. It's a bet that sounds like you're going with. Um yeah. Thirteen to eight. Let's go
1: for it. Hell yeah, because you get your money back anyway. And and you know what? Djokovic might win. You know what? I I'll be I, I'm in agreement with you though. He looked demoralized after that match with Nadal, and who wouldn't? You know, he played his ass off. He really did. It's just the doll was better there. And again, last year too, those two goals. What were they? Win the Olympics and he didn't do that. And win Roland Carroll's and he didn't do that. And in his mind, he failed last year, which is hardly the truth. Yeah, man. But thirteen to eight. Yeah, I like that bet a little bit. But I gotta tell you, the the one I like is this Andy Murray at 7 to 2. What do you like about this Andy Murray at 7 to 2? This is a nice little gig, isn't it?
0: Yeah, we've got to consider that this guy, and a lot of people are not talking about Andy Murray. They're they're busy talking about Rafael Nadal and eight Roland Garros titles and seven titles out of nine events he's entered this year, etc., etc. But Andy Murray has reached the final of the last three Grand Slam competitions that he's entered which would be Wimbledon last year, the US Open, and the Australian Open. Now, he didn't end Roland Garros because he was injured, but he was out at Queen's Club last week, and I watched a little bit of the semi-final against Joe Wilfried Songa and the final against Martin Cilic. And in both matches, Mario lost the first set. He didn't look like he was playing his best tennis. And all of a sudden, he just came to life. He uh, started serving well. He started playing those... Sh- you know, ridiculous shots that Andy Murray's known for, the the winners, the uh, great retrieving. He's looking good. He's looking fit. He's looking healthy. He's moving well. He's playing well. The fact that he won Queen's as a step up from last season when he lost in his first match to Nicholas Mayhew, he still reached the final at Wimbledon after that. I think it's gonna be really difficult to write Andy Murray off. I mean he may get a, a bad draw and land in the same section as uh Rafael Nadal for the quarterfinals. That would be a difficult draw. But if he gets a semi decent draw, if he lands on the same side as David Ferrer and he's got a nice run to the final, I think, you know, Andy Murray is he's definitely worth the money for second favorite at seventy two. That's fantastic
1: odds. Yeah, they are fantastic, and you're right. People aren't talking about Andy Murray, but you and I have privately all year. We, Well, I'm waiting to see this kid win Wimbledon, and I think he's going to. I, I really do. Seven to two odds are, are fantastic. Now, one of the things that Murray wants to hope for, and we don't have the draw in front of us now, is that Nadal is not in his quarter. Would it, do you think that Rafael Nadal can cause problems for Andy Murray on grass? Because... You know what? I think he can.
0: You know, I don't know. Because the last time these guys played on grass, we're looking at Andy Murray didn't have Ivan Lendo. He didn't have the forehand that he's got now that he's able to dictate play with. And Rafael Nadal, is game's traditionally about moving. It's all about running the baseline, getting the ball back in, Looping it back into play with that big moon ball forehand. Yeah, sure, Rafael Nadal's won this tournament twice. But I just wonder this year if the game has moved on enough that these guys on grass can perhaps take the game away from Rafael Nadal. They can hit so big guys like Djokovic, Murray. Uh let's let's even go look at guys like Berdych. Del Potso, guys with this big forehand, I think they could cause of Nadal a few difficulties if they have the consistency. And I'm just judging based upon the the action I saw at Queen's Court last week. But anyone who's got a high serve percentage on their first serve is going to cause a lot of difficulties here. They're going to win a lot of free points. I think anyone who's got the big power forehand is going to do the same. They're going to win a lot of free points on the grass. I just wonder if we are reaching this transition stage in the game where tournaments like this, is going to be about offensive play, not who can retrieve the ball best. And I, I just wonder, you know, Rafael Nadal, sure, 72. He's equal second favorite with Andy Murray. He's just won Roland Garros. He's won seven out of the nine tournaments he's played this year. But I just wonder how he's going to hold up. You know, this is another tournament coming thick and fast now. Can he keep running the ball down non-stop like he's been doing over the clay court season? I'm not so sure. I'm really not. But as you said, it's going to depend where Rafa ends up in this draw. I mean, if he draws the same quarter as David Ferrer, then we're looking at Rafa in the semi-final pretty much for sure. I think if he draws the same quarter as Roger Federer, I think he'll probably give Federer a really, really good test. But I, I think... This year, I fancy both Djokovic and Murray ahead of Nadal. It's just something on the grass that I think these two guys have a little bit more than Nadal has.
1: That makes sense, but you know something? Uh, the, The entire thing around Nadal is his knees. It's always been the case. I don't think the grass causes him that many problems. I think Rafael Nadal also has learned how to play on the grass, and he's become more aggressive. Okay, last year was a fluke. Lucas Rosal beat him because, well, it is what it is. But let's face it. Rafael Nadal two years ago was taking control of points quicker. He was going to the net and attacking faster than he'd ever done before. I I like that style of play from him. I, I think he's going to be okay. But like I said, or like you said, I should say, it's going to depend on where he winds up in that quarter, man. What quarter does he wind up in? I understand why Andy Murray and Djokovic are pissed off. Because they don't want to uh, see this kid in that quarter. Nobody does. That's a dangerous quarter when you've got Rafael Nadal in there. Who is, okay, he's ranked number five. It's fair enough where they've seated him. But still in all, he ain't no number five player. He's better than David Ferrer, for sure. What do you think? I, I don't know, man. It's a good bet, though, 7-2, and you get your money back if Andy wins. Where does... Who who doesn't want to see Nadal? Who really doesn't? Would it be Djokovic or Murray? Because I think Djokovic would be more upset than Murray on grass. I don't know. Both of these guys can hit this flat forehand. Murray,
0: particularly at Queens, was hitting the ball so flat, which is how you beat Nadal. I mean, you hit the ball flat, You take away his time. You hit it flat, you hit it flat again and again and again. And it takes away the time he gets behind the baseline. So he's got to keep dropping off behind the baseline, going further and further back to try and buy himself that time to run the ball down. I think Djokovic can hit just as flat as Murray, and I think he knows that's what he's going to do to beat Nadal. I mean, he tried it at Roland Garros. It didn't work for him there on the clay because you just don't get that extra time on the clay. But on this grass surface, the ball doesn't hang around. It hits hits the surface. It stays low. It disappears, and that's you know ideal for these guys who hit flat. I'll tell you who doesn't want to see him is third seat Roger Federer. I really think this guy does not want to see Rafael Nadal in the quarterfinals. He doesn't want to see him in the semifinals or at
1: all, to be honest. Can't blame him either. <laughs> He's uh, upset Roger's Applecart more times than anyone. Yeah, that would be an interesting quarter, Nadal Federer. That would, because you don't know if this is Roger's last Wimbledon. No one does. Roger Federer, by the way, is a 6-1 to one favorite. Ah, geez, you know what? He has won this tournament quite a few times. You know, people still say, <laughs> I saw this the other day, we got it last week when we talked about who the great, the greatest of all time was. We really didn't. I mean, we just eliminated Serena and uh, Rafael Nadal. I mean, but someone wrote to me and said, Roger Federer is the greatest of all time because he played elegantly. I thought that was odd. (laughs) Is that what it is? (laughs) Because you're elegant? Ted Tingling was elegant, too. You want to put him up there, too? (laughs) (laughs) But seriously, Roger Federer, 6-1 favorite. Six to one odds, I should say. That's not bad for Roger though. You can pick up a few bucks if he wins, right? But would you but here's the thing. This is the other thing that cracks me up about sports betting and people who claim to be like knowledgeable. They'll stick money on these long shots. They don't even realize. Well, I got great odds. Yeah, but here the odds are against you. You just lost your money. You're handing your money over to the bookie. (laughs) You're paying his bills, you idiot. Fetter six to one. Is that worth a shot? At Patty Power, it is because if Andy Murray wins, you get your money back, right? Yeah, it's
0: interesting. Roger at six to one. What Roger relies on is the speed of the courts. Um, and you would think, with his aging legs, that that would probably be the last thing that he wants. But you and I both know that Roger's able to play any shot he wants, especially on that forehand side. He can put the ball pretty much anywhere he wants. And that's kind of what favours him at Wimbledon a little bit is the speed of the court. He whips one of those forehands inside out, down the line. He's got a a selection of shots that he could play that can mesmerise opponents, and he could just take the ball away from these guys and run it down. But when we go back to Roland Garros just a few weeks ago, and you look at when he played Songa, Roger wasn't hitting the ball particularly well. He was... Framing a lot of shots. He was missing overheads. He just seemed to be struggling with the way he was connecting with the ball. And, you know, he had time with Roland Giles to pick his shots out. So that's a little bit of a concern for me. People will point to the fact that he won in Germany last week at the Jerry Weber Open in Halle. However, that tournament didn't have quite the same level of competition that Queen's Club had. Uh, Queen's Club sort of offered the likes of Thomas Berdych, Joe Wilford-Songa, Juan Martin Del Pozzo, whereas Roger played against Tommy Haas, um, Mikhail Yuzhne. So it, it's really difficult to tell where Roger's at at the moment. Would you fancy him against Novak Djokovic, Andy Murray, Rafael Nadal? I mean, traditionally he struggles against Nadal due to the way Nadal keeps lifting the ball high onto his backhand. But against Murray and Djokovic, these guys are playing really good tennis at the moment. They've been playing good Grand Slam tennis the last year or so. So, I I really wouldn't advise a bet on Roger Federer at 61. He may come out and surprise us all. He may you know go all the way and win it. But for me, I I just don't see Roger winning this year. There's there's just too much competition.
1: There is. You know what? I will tell you what. If if it were me, I think that. Of the big four, I think the one that Federer would have the easier time with on grass is Novak Djokovic, simply because Novak Djokovic, he didn't exactly uh, look like the happiest fellow playing tennis after he lost to Nadal at Roland Garros. And I think for Djokovic to be at his best, he needs to be mentally fit. And I don't think that he is right now. I think he's very disappointed in himself. You know, this kid's a hell of a competitor, you know. He he wants to win. He sets goals, and he expects to make them. And he didn't do that either year. So I would take Federer over Djokovic, but not over Murray. Because like you pointed out before, Murray at Queens was just hitting the crap out of that flat forehand of his. Hitting the daylights out of it. That's going to be big trouble. Now, there's a couple other guys out here. And what we want to try to advise when you're when you're betting tennis and grand slam tennis there's a lot of matches you want to take advantage of but on grass court the main thing that you want to look for and identify are big servers. Here for example let's go with Marin Cilic he's 80 to 1. We're not talking about winning matches and winning majors now. We're talking about winning matches off the draw, opening day, first two, three rounds. Marin Cilic is a good one, right Craig? He hits the he's He's a good one on grass because he's going to get a lot of aces, right? Yeah, he certainly is. I think the bookmaker's
0: going to have that one scouted. They know Marin Chilich from Queens. They know what this guy's capable of. So if we maybe just come down the jar a little bit, let's let's have a look at John Isner, um, your personal favorite, Jesse Janowicz. He's got the big game. Um. One of my personal favorites on grass, I'm just having a look to see where he is, is Feliciano Lopez.
1: Yeah, He plays the uh,
0: serve and volley, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's his style of play. Always great, does well there too, right? Yeah, and it's great to watch, you know, someone coming in and doing the serve and volley. Another oh, one yeah. who does the serve and volley is the doubles player, Michael Lodzoff from France. And I'm just looking at the list, and below Lodger is Xavier Melisse. He's another guy you want to get down for a first round win. Um, big serve, generally good grass player. I, I like Malise on Grass. He'll win a few matches, I think, if he gets a decent draw. And I'm just looking to see where Rusty is, um, Leighton Hewitt. Yeah, he's still there. He's at two fifty to one. He can win yeah. he'll he'll win a match at the beginning though. Oh, yeah, as long as he's not drawn against, like last year he got Songo, which was a bad draw for him. But if he gets a good shot in the first round, he'll win the match. You can guarantee that. In fact, I think he could take out seeded players. There's, you know, he, he could take out anybody outside the top ten
1: because he'll, he'll stick around and he'll make things difficult for them. He absolutely will. You know who else is a good bet early? <laughs> Although I wouldn't bet on his backhand or his volleys at all, is uh, young Milos, Milos Rayanich. Rejane. He's a good one because he's got a big cannon of a serve. Craig hit it best when he said John Isner. Um, I'll tell you somebody who might might be able to sneak one or two in is uh, young Bernard Tomic. I know his life is like a disaster right now, but uh, he gets a decent draw. He can win a match or two. Another guy that you can look for is Alexander Bog Bogomolov, excuse me. He's another one who could probably crack a few. Feliciano Lopez is a great call, too, Craig. Can, Can I, I
0: throw another one in? Absolutely. Sam Query
1: Yeah. is there another you go. one you want
0: to have a look at. Uh, I'm going to just put a little word of caution out of Milos Reynich. He got beaten by little Ivan Dodig last week at Eastbourne. Um, Reynich is not playing the best tennis at the minute, so be very, very cautious on Reynich depending on who he draws. I mean, if he draws Leighton Hewitt, stay right away from him. But, um, you know, just be cautious, Um, be clever with your betting, check out, you know, the guy's statistics, have a look at the the recent form before you even go in on some of these guys, and, you know, have fun betting.
1: Absolutely. Pay attention. I'll give you one more name. Benoit Perry from France. We'll throw him in there, too. He's got a big little game, too. Yeah, I think Milos just uh, doesn't like to volley. <laughs> That's what, why he lost that match, the little guy. Anyway, we're off to a flying start. Um, we have to take a break and pay some bills. But when we return, we'll take a look at the ladies. And then at the end of the show, we'll give our predictions on who we think is going to win the men's and Wim- women's singles at the All England Club. The championships are upon us. You're listening to This Week in Tennis on max sports talk superstation.com that's right the superstation of talk talking to you each and every day we have a lot to talk about monday government is not the answer Health is the answer Hey guys, I'm here. Tuesday. The Yankees are always good. We are going to go for old-timers. Well, I think I feel. I'm a Mets fan. We have clothes put Wednesday. You, you and I are staying put. Cool. Thank goodness, because I have uh, no socks on, and uh, staying put is what I need to do. Thursday. I was love to.
0: actually decided to run the president out for him. Friday. You know how hard it is to get a
1: topic not about sports on the radio. It's not as hard as me introducing sports on this show. Saturday. It's time to party. And Sunday. How can we respect anyone in Washington, D.C.? Every day we talk to you. Sit back and enjoy this Talk Superstation I'm on the air. .com. I'm talk spoken here. If you're moving to the Atlanta area or simply looking to buy that new dream home, we'll look no further than to real estate agent Latrissa Fryson. Latrissa has over 10 years in real estate experience, and she's anxious to put you in your brand new home. For more information, you can contact Latrissa at latrissa.com. That's L-E-T-R-I-S-S-A dot com. Stitcher Smart Radio is an award-winning, free mobile application that lets you listen to your favorite shows and discover the best of news, entertainment, and sports on demand. Now you don't even need a Wi-Fi or a cell connection to listen to shows like the Phil Nation Show. Never miss another show. It's real simple. Just go to Stitcher.com and download the free app today. And never miss another Phil Nason Show. Are you tired of boring sports websites that's about the same old company line? If you are, then I'd invite you to stop over to thesportsgoons.com. The Reggie commentary and a weekly podcast highlighting today's issues is second to none. That's thesportsgoons.com. The new media has arrived. This Week in Tennis... Is a weekly tennis program covering all aspects of professional tennis. The most controversial tennis show anywhere deals with issues no one seems to want to touch. For music and hard-hitting commentary, please visit philnasons.com. Looking for the latest information on your favorite sports team? Why not check out 15-year-old founder Trevor Urens, prosportsextra.com. Updated daily by a staff of over 30 writers, ProSportsExtra.com is the place to be. You can check them out, and I insist that you do, at ProSportsExtra.com. Hi, this is Phil Nasons from This Week in Tennis and The Phil Nason Show. Max Sports Channels offers the best in sports talk radio, As well as great music 24 hours a day. It's my daily destination, and I hope it's yours. The sports talk begins each and every day at 3 p.m. and ends around 9 p.m. Special programming on the weekends, and in between all that, the hottest music on the internet. That's Max Sports Channels. Make it your daily destination. Welcome back to This Week in Tennis. It is June the 21st. We're talking the championships with Craig Dahl from craigdahlphotography.com. Now, we have the ladies, and I'm going to use a different site here. We're trying to be an equal opportunity um, gambling show tonight, Craig. We're going to use ladbrokes.com. I like lad bros, because uh, I can't seem to find the women's over at Patty Power. They may they need to make these things easier for God's sakes, dudes. Listen, it's two in the morning here. We're trying to plug you. Make it easier for us for crying out loud. Anyway, the women's it, this is just nuts, really. They're not giving any specials over there because there is none. Look at this, Craig. Serena Williams is at one to two. Forget about that. You ain't going to make any money off that. <laughs> what do you think? Serena Williams, one and two. That makes you want to weep, doesn't it? Yeah, it's pointless betting on that, isn't
0: it? I think what you've got to do with that is you've got to look at it and say, what could I combine that with? Can I combine that with the men's job winner? <laughs> and at this stage, I'll be honest, you might as well say, let's do a double. Let's do um, men's winner plus Serena Williams because I – Really, struggling to see anyone
1: taking it away from her. To be honest, no, I don't see anybody doing it either. One to two, though, My own. Pfft, that's horrible. But here we go. We have to be equally fair. Man, I'm looking at these odds. It doesn't get very good here. Victoria Azarenka at seven to one. Does Victoria Azarenka have any type of shot? I, you know what they could do, though, Craig. They should uh, make a side bet on who will withdraw because of pedicure problems or cosmetic injuries or how many bathroom breaks they'll take when they're losing. Wouldn't that be better than this at 7 to 1?
0: Yeah, but well, Victoria Azarenka would be um, 1 to 2 then. She'd be
1: like, no, she'd be like 1 to 50. <laughs> she, You ain't going to make no money off that because she's the favorite at Dirty play, well what do you think about her at seven to one? Is it even worth a bet? Um is she
0: the best of the rest? Probably not. I think Sharapova's probably got a better chance than she does just because I like Sharapova's service action more. I think she gets more power into it, and on the grass, that's really important. um what does Azarenka do well i mean she's she rallies well, she moves well. Is that enough against Serena Williams on grass? I mean, Serena hits the ball so hard that it goes by you before you've even seen it. Um, For me, not really. But if, you know, Serena was to get injured or have difficulties somewhere else, that's where Victoria Azarenka would have a chance. If you were to take Serena Williams out, Azarenka's got a chance. But uh, I I just, if Serena's in the tournament, I, I don't
1: see her winning the tournament, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't see her either, but uh, you you made a pretty strong statement there that I agree with, by the way, is if Serena is still there. Now, there are times, and I know Serena fans are probably not going to like to hear this, but there have been times where Serena has gotten bounced early at a major. Now, whether that happens here or not is another issue, but if she gets bounced before the third round, and I don't know who she's playing, and I guess it really doesn't matter, Azarenka is a good choice, but if that's the case, I'm going with Maria Sharapova at six to one. What do you think about yeah. that?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if Serena's to get bounced, Sharapova's your um, second favorite at six to one, and I think it's all down to the big serve, isn't it? This big serve on grass makes a huge difference, and She's pretty consistent with the serve as well. I mean, she's got this different action now that helps her with her shoulder injuries that she had before. But I, I really like that bet. That's, that's a really, really good bet if um, Serena was to go early, and I, I think you know the bookmaker would respond very, very quickly if Serena was to go early, and she, they would slash the odds on Sharapova from six to one down to two to one or something like that very, very quickly if Serena was to disappear.
1: Yeah, they would. That's for sure, because that money would be running it, wouldn't it? it would, the money would dictate that move. There's no question. Everybody would be fighting to get to the window to put their bet on that deal. You know who else is is someone who they this side anyway has ranked or favored is Petra Kvitova at twelve to one. Now she's a former champion. There are times when I look at her and I wonder how in the hell she won Wimbledon in the first place. But then I think that when she won Wimbledon, and I think they were a little more inconsistent, they being the ladies. And I think they're starting to kind of right the ship a little bit. There's been a little more consistency over the last, say, 16 to 18 months. But what type of shot, 12 to 1? If if Serena's in, forget it. I don't think Kitova can beat her. But if, for example, Serena does get bounced, is Petra Kitova a decent 12 to 1 shot?
0: I think the problem with uh, Petra Kivorova was that she arrived a little bit too early. She kind of got into the final in a year where she was pretty young. and she, she, she I think she had actually done well the year previously, but uh, when you're so young, it all catches up with you. And you've seen it with a lot of these girls on the tour who win a Grand Slam early on. They tend to fade away a little bit as opposed to going on to dominate. And, you know... Even if Serena's not there, I don't think she's got a shot. I think it's gonna take a couple of years for her to really fully develop her game, find where she is, and you know, similar to a few other players, I, I think she'll stay top ten and I think she'll sort of rise back up a little bit. But I, I think it's still too soon. I, I don't think she's got the all round game yet or the consistency to to challenge for this title this year, and she would need a little bit of luck to, to get through the draw. So twelve to one that's The reason she's 12 to 1 and 4 favorite is because she's won it before. The bookmakers are trying to cover their back on this one, just in case. But I don't see it. Not for me, unfortunately.
1: I don't know, man. She, she, oh, I don't know. I, I'm not taking that bet, though. I would take her. Geez, I, you know what? The way she's been playing this year, I would be even leery to take her in an early round match. Because, well, she scares me. I mean, seriously. But there's some interesting names here. And there's some interesting little propositions if you want to take them. If you have the balls to take them, I mean. Sloan Stevens at 50 to 1. What is with these people and Sloan Stevens? Because whatever it is, I don't see.
0: Yeah, I think people have seen this Australian Open. They saw sort a of beach Serena, get to the semi finals and get a little bit unfortunate against Azarenka, but Sloane's not really backed that up. She's not gone to any of the tournaments either on the hard or the clay court surfaces after that. I'm putting the sort of performance that backs up that semi-final. Again, I think the bookmakers are trying to cover themselves on Sloane-Stevens. They don't see her as a winner, but they, they don't want to be paying out huge money just in case she puts some sort of run of form together, and I don't think it's going to happen. Um, I just can't see it. Again, too soon, maybe in a few years' time. When she develops her game, she gets a little bit more consistency in her ground strokes. But right now, 50-1, to one, leave it alone.
1: Yeah, the only thing we've seen her do since Australia is flap her gums. Really. that's a, And that's a sad thing, isn't it? It's sad because she's got talent. But she's running her mouth and she can't back it up. I mean, she's probably bought into the hype machine. Everyone was everyone was on her, praising her, except for me, if you remember. And, well, it is what it is, but I would walk away from that. That's a tough proposition at 50 to 1. Here's another one, too, and these people aren't going to give any money away. Laura Robeson, 80 to 1, the hometown girl. What, what do you think about this? And more importantly, Craig... Because this is your backyard. This is going to bring up, when when you see girls like Robeson play and you see nobody in the men's side of things other than Andy Murray, what is the scuttlebutt? What are people saying? Are they bagging on tennis in the UK?
0: Yeah, it's great that you bring this topic up, Phil, because this was one that really got me a little hot under the collar earlier, earlier in the week. Because every year we get to this grass court season, we have Queen's, we have Wimbledon, and all these sports journalists who usually write soccer, football here in the UK, they're looking at tennis because it's a big show in town. And everyone's writing, but everyone's asking the same question every single year. Where are the British players? Why do we only have Andy Murray, who has a realistic opportunity to win tournaments? Where are the other men's players? And, you know, the women's players, we have a few more, but none of them are in a position to challenge for titles. So we look at this system we have over here, and it gets widely criticized. This year there was a fantastic article written on the BBC website detailing the fact that tennis is going to lose 10-point-something million pounds worth of funding this year if it can't show that there's development happening. And it's a big issue because we've been going through all these different development schemes and plans and ideas. And, you know, we had a 10-year plan and we had a five-year plan. And this was going to develop all these new talents coming through becoming world-class tennis players. They haven't arrived. So, you know, what does infuriate me a little bit is that uh, tennis in the UK is a middle-class sport. Middle-class people play it. middle Class people run it. And if I'm honest, from my experience in tennis, working class people are not really welcome. If you've not got the money, you're not able to pay for coaching because tennis coaching is probably 10 times more expensive than it is to send your child to play football. It costs to get equipment. It costs to hire coaches. It costs to hire courts. It's expensive. You've got to throw a lot of money in it. And if you want to take a kid from the recreational or club level to a national level or an international level, then you're exponentially increasing the amount of money you've got to put in. And there's no system in this country like there is in the likes of Spain, Germany, France, to draw working-class kids into tennis. You can't just get kids who don't have money, give them rackets, uh, and get them involved. I mean, th- these kids have so little exposure to the game, they're, they're not even picking up a racket in the first place. So we're not even seeing these young natural talents coming through. We're not even giving them a chance to to mature into players. And I think half of the battle comes with uh, something I identified this week in that there are a couple of exhibition tournaments this week where Andy Murray's playing, Rafael Nadal's playing, Novak Djokovic is playing. and I think Joe Wilford-Songer, Thomas Burtich, all these guys are playing tennis this week. They're playing one match at exhibition tournaments. And these exhibition tournaments are down in London. One of them is at a place called the Boodles. And the other is at what I believe is the Hurlingham Club, which is a very exclusive members-only facility. And the pricing to get into these events, I mean, the Boodles, you were talking about £60 a ticket. For the cheapest ticket, and the Hurlington Club, you were talking three hundred pounds for one session of tennis. That's just not accessible for kids, you know. Parents who have kids, you know, families, they they don't get access to these players because it's an international game. Andy Murray's only here for four weeks a year when he plays on the grass court. Maybe at the end of the year, at the the ATP. Event uh, at the uh, O2 Arena, but you know, generally kids they can only watch this on TV. Uh, if if you want to capture the imagination of a, a a little boy or a little girl, you've got to take them along to one of these events, put them in front of the stars, let them feel the atmosphere, let them see what it's really all about. You know, the TV doesn't really capture that. It's a it's a different world to them when they see it on the TV, but uh, over here we we just don't see that. We don't get the kids involved, we don't get them picking up rackets, we don't give them access to the, the tennis stars, it's all almost like a different world to the kids over here that's that's so disconnected from reality and you know it's it's a shame that we just don't have the players picking up the rackets and the ones that we do have coming through, I mean Laura Robson, effectively she came from Australia mm-hmm. um, Andy Murray, he spent a lot of his time out of the country learning the game Heather Watson, very similar, and then after that, we don't have anything you know we all our players that went into the qualifiers this week on the men's side, they lost in the second or first round, they didn't even make the last round of qualifying, which is you know really poor, and the same on the women's side, we're not gonna have anyone coming from the qualifiers um on the women's side we have got a few wild cards in the tournament, but uh hopes of them getting beyond the first round are are, are not too high, so. In terms of British tennis, hopes for the future are not great, unfortunately. Um, it's more or nothing at the moment.
1: Well, my experience with, uh, and I appreciate everything that you said there, my experience with England tennis players, kids from the UK, is that they're some of the most arrogant little twats I've ever met, and they've done nothing. A lot of these kids, they've got, they, at one time, they used to put like seven, eight, nine kids in the top 100, 150 in the world in ITF juniors. Here's where, here's where the rubber meets the road. And they're very arrogant. They're very cocky, you know, because, well, they're privileged in a certain ways. The LTA gets behind them a little bit. And what happens is when they try to make that transition to the professional ranks, first of all, they don't have a mentoring system there in England because nobody cares about each other there. And that's obvious. I've been in clubs in Cambridge and different places where you can tell that these people don't give a rat's ass about their These people, meaning the coaches, don't care about those kids. They're jealous of them. A lot of those guys are jealous. They're horrible coaches, too, by the way. The ones that I saw. Not all of them, obviously. But these kids get over to the satellites, and then they go out there, and they get their crap kicked out of them, and they get their little bubble burst. And then they go home, and they hear crap from their Bush League LTA coach, who's probably in there because of someone he knows and not what he knows. And that all pays a price. Um, a long time ago, I coached a kid from Cambridge, in fact, and an older guy from England told her parents, you get her the hell out of England and don't let her come back if you want her to succeed because they'll devour you. And, well, that's what happens. But this And the thing is, when you bring up this qualifying, well, that's the bottom of the barrel, really. And those are wild cards. They're getting wild cards at the qualies. But you've got kids that are decent that have gotten wild cards. Whether they win or not is another issue. I think people fall in love with the idea of the the movie Wimbledon where the club pro who's on his last leg and he's going to go work in the club decides he's going to win Wimbledon. It just doesn't work that way in real life. And I think they put a lot of pressure on their kids and then they don't back it up by supporting their kids. And I'm not talking about financially supporting I'm talking about emotionally supporting because I don't think that they have the capability of doing that. They don't care about each other. That's my opinion. That's just my observations. It's really not a criticism but more of an observation. I don't know. You may. Can I be a little controversial here? No, why not? It's the most controversial
0: tennis show ever, anywhere. Excellent, excellent. I mentioned the words middle class, and I think that's what the problem actually is. The, the middle class basically rules tennis. You've got middle class coaches, middle class kids, middle class parents. And when you're in the middle class, and, and I don't mean this in the wrong way. I mean, you know, I'm probably talking myself out of a, any job in tennis in the future here. But when you're in the middle class, this isn't like Spain or Serbia where these kids come out or, or Russia, let's take. where these kids come out and tennis is a living this is the way they're going to escape where they are they're going to put everything into it they're going to get good or they're going to sink back into whatever system they've come from over here these kids have got everything they've got the latest computer systems they go to the privileged schools you know people jump when they say etc cetera, etc cetera. they go down to the tennis club and you've got coaches who have grown up with the same mentality you know these people as you said they're not looking out for each other they're not looking out for the best of, for, for each other's interests, to get the best out of each other. The coach is thinking, okay, I can get 10 kids in today. That gets me, you know, my money in for today. I can get 10 kids in tomorrow, 10 kids in the next day, whatever. Um, That's how the coach is looking at it. And the parents look at it like, well, let's just send the kids down there. That gets them out of our hair for a bit. They can learn a little bit of tennis. And uh, they don't do what Judy Murray did with Andy Murray. Now, let, let's not uh confuse the situation. The Murrays, they had a bit of money. They needed the money to put Murray through the system. But Judy Murray pushed Andy Murray to play nonstop. When he was um, throwing the toys out of the pram and he didn't want to go to practice, she took him down to practice and he practiced. And that's just how it was. She pushed him to be good. And I, I think you need that. You need you need the parent who's got the drive to push you to to keep playing because in many cases, the kid just throws the toys out of the pram doesn't want to play, the parent says, well, this is a bit of much bother for me. If this is what the hassle is going to be all the time, hell with it. I ain't taking you back. You're finished. And and that's kind of the mentality over here, you know, the easy way out. And unfortunately, you get that when when there's a lot of money involved, whatever's easiest, whatever causes the least hassle tends to be the solution for a lot of parents, whereas with working class kids it 's a little bit different. You know if you get a kid who 's not got nothing, tennis is their their life, you know they make it their life it 's what they want to do. They pick up the racket and they strive to be better and better and better because they know that they can make a career out of it its it 's a different a whole different mentality and Unfortunately, the problem is and i 'm just going to my experience from the clubs that i've visited and the clubs that i 've been a member of. And I'm a working-class guy. Let's, uh, let's not mix anything up. I, I come from a working-class background. People like me generally are not accepted at tennis clubs. Um, and, and uh, you know, it's a shame. And that's just the way it is. You have some middle-class person running it, and if they look at you and they think you don't have money, they ain't coming out with the membership forms and getting you to sign up. They're interested in you coming to pay and play on their courts. You know they're only interested in you know people who have have got a little bit of money, um, and unfortunately, that's such a small percentage of people in the UK. There's so many working class kids in such great cities like um, Glasgow, Liverpool, Manchester, cities that don't have big tennis centers that would really benefit from getting rackets into the hands of kids who are not financially well off, you know, kids who probably have the application to go and do a little bit with a tennis racket, but unfortunately the the system really has the big tennis centers in places like London and Birmingham, in the south of the country where where the money is and unfortunately that's not producing the caliber of player that the LTA requires to, to put on the world stage. And that's just how it is until they build more tennis centers, get rackets into the hands of these kids that can't afford to pay thousands of pounds for coaching. The UK is not going to produce a lot of tennis players like France, Spain, Serbia, Russia, or even America who have the college system. We just don't have the infrastructure to do it.
1: Well, you said a whole lot there, my friend. Don't worry. If no one hires you, I'll hire you. <laughs> of course, I don't have a job, remember? So <laughs> anyway, I'll tell you what, you said a lot there. I think you're right. I came from a, a very um humble background. And when I look at what I have now, and I look out there at that Ionian sea, when I was a kid, it was one of those deals where I wouldn't have gotten there unless I uh had a tennis rack in my hand. I wouldn't be where I am today. Everything that I have is because of tennis. And it's because somebody believed in a poor kid enough to give him free lessons and work with him. And even though I didn't get famous with a tennis racket in my hand, I I did a lot for the sport by teaching it for the last, Jesus, 30 years, probably. So, I mean, whatever. And I've gone to another country where I give free lessons. I still do that, Craig. I, I never turn anyone away who can't afford it. Never. The only thing that I ask is that they work hard when they're here and don't waste my time. It's the only thing I ask, and it's amazing how very few people here take advantage of it. You know, we can, we're going to talk more about this in the coming weeks, I think. But right now we have to call it a night because, well, we've used up our time, Craig. Quick, who's going to win the men's?
0: Um, yeah, home Grand Slam. I'm feeling it this
1: year after the Olympics last year. I'm going Andy Murray. Yep, I'm I'm in a complete agreement with you. I'm going Andy Murray. And on the women's side, I got Serena, who do you got? Yeah, for the first time, we're in complete agreement in both. For the first time. Wonders never cease. We make a great couple, Craig.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's what I keep telling them, but uh, you know, they don't believe me.
1: I uh, know, it's horrible. Anyway, thanks, Craig, for being a part of the show tonight, man. I appreciate you very much. You know that, right? I do, and you're welcome anytime. All right, that's going to wrap it up for today's, or I should say this week's, This Week in Tennis for Craig Doyle. And you can find him over at craigdoylephotography.com. I'm Phil Masons. Thanks for listening. Good night. And most importantly, enjoy the tennis.